Welcome, ladies. We are uh, continuing our study of the Tehillim uh, of David Amelech Alav Shalom. It's that time of the week, and uh, our learnings bring us to chapter Pezayin eighty-seven. It's a small chapter. Uh, hope to do this chapter and maybe touch on chapter eighty-eight as well, so we can get uh, two for one in order to make it worth your while coming out on such a beautiful day. And uh, getting cooped up over here with no sun. Well, we have windows. Anyway, it's uh, part of the the uh, Bene Korach collection. The Bene Korach Mizmor Shir Yisudato Beharere Kodesh. So this chapter, <coughs> it is established. The Yisod of the chapter, the foundation is to complement the Eretz uh, Israel specifically. The mountains of Eretz Israel, we call them the holy mountains, Harare Kodesh. And those mountains, of course, would be the mountains of Zion. So you have Haramuriah, Mount Moriah, which where the Temple Mount is. And then you have all the other Harim, Yerushalayim, uh, Harim Savivla, the Pasuk says, that Jerusalem is beautiful because it's surrounded by the beautiful mountains. And therefore, he comes to talk about the beauty of Eretz Israel and the beauty specifically of. Uh, the uh, the Harim, the Harare Kodesh. Har Sion v'hare Yerushalayim. Then uh, the Pasuk says, Ohev Adonai Sha'are Sion, mekol meshkenot Yaakov, that God loves the gates of Zion from all the dwellings of Yaakov. And if you pray in Sha'are Sion, you probably like this Pasuk. Uh, if you don't pray there, we still have to Explain it. God loves the gates of Zion more than uh, any of the other dwellings uh, of Yaakov. So uh, in order to understand this, uh, we will talk, we will bring what the Gemara says about uh, The gates of Zion specifically are referring to the gates of the Temple Mount. The gates of the Temple Mount, that's where the Sanhedrin used to sit. The Sanhedrin was the great court. And the great court, basically they were studying law the entire day. Not only were they studying law, but they were actually executing the law to the people. And since God is a ohev sedakah mishpat, God loves justice and he loves righteousness. And that's what a court does. It does sedakah, it brings peace through justice. And therefore God loves the gates of Zion, specifically where the Sanhedrin sat, because he loves the Torah and he loves the fact that they're using Jewish law in order to settle disputes amongst the people. Now the Gemara in Berachot actually takes uh, this and expands it. and says, God does not only prefer and love the gates of Sha'aret Zion, Zion literally meaning Zion, the gates of Zion, the gates of the Sanhedrin, but it's expanded, and I'll quote you the, uh, the Gemara, Amar Abchesta, my dichtiv, Oheb Hashem Sha'aris Yom Mekom Meshkenot Yaakov, Oheb Hashem Sha'arim HaMitsuyanim Bahalacha. So the word Siyon, according to the Gemara, is not to be read Siyon, which is Zayim, but wait, Siyun. Siyun means uh, gates or institutions that are marked that are dedicated to the study of halakha. 
מקום אסיפת חכמים לקביעת הלכה יותר מבתי כנסיות ובתי מדרשות. זה ביג תינג. בוני העולם loves the בית מדרש over the בית כנסת. You always have to know that. In the preferences, the בית מדרש or בית כנסת, God will always prefer the בית מדרש. Because the learning is more important. However, even in בית מדרש there's preferences. There's the בית מדרש that studies theoretical law, And there's the Ben Midrash that studies halakha. And Bori Olam says, the gates that are uh, committed to the study of halakha, which is bottom line, what to do, Bori Olam says, there's nothing more pleasurable that I love in this world than those places. So if you ever pass a yeshiva, and you ask the boys in the yeshiva, what are you learning? And so we're learning halakha. So wow, you know you're in front of one of the greatest, most dearest places in God's eyes, On, on earth, because it says, Mikol Meshkinot Yaakov. From, now we're not comparing this to uh, that God loves uh, the uh, places where the boys and the ladies study halakha more than uh, Baskin Robbins. We're not comparing. That's apples and oranges. In, we're comparing apples and apples. That means even to a Bet Knesset where they're involved in spiritual pursuits and even a Bet Midrash where they're learning. But even in that genre, there are different levels and the gates that study practical halakha l'ma'aseh, those are the, the highest level. And the Gemara then goes on to say uh, uh, an astounding statement. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know it intuitively. From the day that the temple was destroyed, God has no consolation in his world, Where God receives his solace and his uh, comfort is where the people are studying halakha. So if you find four, four cubits, a small group of people that are learning, you know, practical Jewish law, Bari Olam says, wow, Nahamtani, I have consolation. In the time of the Beit HaMikdash, we had the Sanhedrin. So that's why the Sanhedrin was the epitome of studying Jewish law and then uh, uh, executing it. Today we don't have the Sanhedrin, But again, halakha l'ma'aseh. And that's why, uh, again, uh, it's something that uh, should not be neglected. It shouldn't be neglected, the study of halakha. We cannot appreciate how much benefit Hashem gets from it when we're studying the law and the intricacies of the law and the details of the law. And it's never ending. There's always new cases that come up. There's always questions that come up. And... The good news is, the Torah has a, an opinion on all these cases. There was never a rabbi who, who's a gadol that received a question and answered, sorry, Torah doesn't have an opinion on this. Torah has an answer to everything, and it's a mitzvah to keep on growing Jewish law and bringing all these things uh, to the forefront. The Arizal, they say, when he studied halakha, he would sweat and he would exert himself a lot and uh, until he came to the final conclusions. And he said that there's great resistance from the kiddipot to come to the bottom line, to come to the, what you have to do, and you have to break through it. You have to break through it by asking the questions and giving the answers. Every time you ask a question, it's a kiddipah. And every time you answer it, you broke the kiddipah. And it takes a lot of energy to figure out the intellectual exercises till you get to the, to the bottom line, and you have to be not lazy to do it. So it's very easy to learn it superficially and then next subject. But to get to the bottom line, How many are there? oh, 
to get to a bottom line, you have to start from the Pasuk in the Torah. That's, that's where it starts. And then you have to go to the Mishnah, and then you have to go to the Gemara, and then you have to go to all the Nishonim, the way they explain the Gemara. And then you have to figure out which one of the Nishonim uh, makes the most uh, sense in order to pick the proper uh, solution for the Halakha, and then see if your case is analogous to the cases of the Gemara. It's, it's a tedious job. That's why it's much easier just to learn it and then not take it to the bottom line. Just leave it. I have once, not that I'm proud of it, but once uh, I, still went, I, learned, I learned with great, great Sadiqim in my life. And one time I learned with a great rabbi. We were learning the laws of Hashavat Aveda. We weren't learning the laws, we were really learning Gemara Bava There the Gemara tells you what happens if somebody lost something and you find it and they have to, they have to return it. And very intricate stuff. And we're learning it. He's giving me all the Hanushim of Aaron Kutla, Alava Shalom, and all the unbelievable stuff. I mean, my heads were spinning. And then after we finished the Gemara, we walk out. We were learning in Mikdash Melech at the time. And we walk out. And uh, we, I see on the floor a pair of gloves. Ah, here it is. Here it is, Rabbi. All our learning for the past year. as a pair of gloves. What do we do? He says, how do I know? <laughs> what do you mean, how do I know? What was this learning for? I don't know. I have no idea. Go, go ask a rabbi. <laughs> You're a rabbi. No. Which means we learned it, but we... we, we, we no disrespect to the rabbi, uh, but we didn't bottom line it. So it remained in the world of theory. And Borei Olam says, take it to one level or two levels lower, so from when you get up from the Gemara, you'll know how to put it into daily life and, and, and put it into practical life. And I don't think Borei Olam is just saying he wants people to sit down and just learn short halachot, you know, do this, don't do that. The, the, the beauty that Borei Olam loves is the toil of it. The toil to come to the to, to, to the conclusion of, uh, of law. In any event, it's, uh, it's something that uh, we, should, we should spend, uh, spend time study of halakha. Nikhbadot midot. One hadush of the Benish Chai. That's good, I remembered it. The Benish Chai says, there's something else Borei Olam loves dearly, and that's the study of the children. Whenever you see the Tinokot of Bet Raban, the younger children, less than Bar Mitzvah, that are studying Torah, their Torah is very, very pure. It's coming from maybe not the deepest place of the brain, but it's coming from the holiness of the heart. It's purity, there's no sins. So therefore, it's untainted Torah. And in God's view, that's a, that's a maybe not the, the well, I should say, maybe not intellectually uh, qualitative, but from a purity standpoint, it's very quality. And therefore, the Ben Yishai writes that... On the pasuk, Uhev Hashem Sha'are Siyon. Take the word Siyon. Okay, Zion. Now he writes, Sha'are Siyon are the gates that lead to Siyon. Siyon is letters. Tzaddi, Yud, Vabdun. Now the gates that lead to any letter are the letter, is the letter before. For example, what's the gate to the letter Bet? Right, the Aleph. You got to go through the Aleph to get to the Bet. So then the Benish Chai's this is a homiletical, this is a midrash, a dirash, that uh, uh, the gates of Sion would mean the letters that come before Sion. And Hashem loves the letters that precede Sion. Okay, now we have an experiment. Let's go look at the letters that precede Sion. So let's go, uh, let's go backwards. Let's start with the Nun. What's the letter before Nun? Mem, Hazaka Baruch. So you got the point. That the Mem is the gate to the Nun. 
And what's the Vav of Sion? A hair. And the Yud would be a Tit. And a Sadi would be a A, a Peh. Exactly. So he says, if you take the letters, Sion, and you take the letters before Sion, we're going uh, in order now, you have a Mem, a He, a Tet, and a Peh. What does that spell? Mehataf. Mehataf. And what is Mehataf? Taf is the children. loves the gates that lead to Sion. And the gates that lead to Sion is the children. What comes out of the mouth of the taf, of the children. From the old geezers, from the old timers. From the batem That's why uh, we have to be so, uh, so uh, careful when it comes to not mevateling the children. You could, you could you could stop a lot of things, but you never stop what's dear to God. Uh, that's why it's so important in the summer that the children just continue to study Torah. That's why the children should be studying Torah seven days a week. And the yeshiva should be open seven days a week. And uh, it should be open seven nights a week as well. Even though everybody doesn't want Sunday school, nobody wants uh, night school, nobody wants anything. Everybody wants to just go on vacation. But the school should be open in order that they, that's what Hashem loves. Uh, like, by the way, tell the old timers, you, you, you take off on Sunday, because Hashem doesn't uh, like your Torah much as the other guys, and let the kids learn Torah. That's something you should know as a parent. If you have little taf at home, uh, you have something that's a very, very big treasure that gives God a lot of pleasure. Nechbadot medubarbach. Nechbadot medubarbach, you Jerusalem. So much praise has been said. Nechbadot melashon kavod. God has praised the city of Jerusalem to the extent ir ha Elohim. It is called the city of God. Askir now a praise from Benekora about how Israel and the city of Jerusalem in general is a city of scholars. It produces scholars more than any other country in the world, and we know that. Uh, maybe not Israel, but we know just as a, as a general rule, Jewish people have so many uh, 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 notables on the lists of great physicians and great uh, doctor, doctor, great, great uh, 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 um, people that invented, inventors and different uh, mathematicians and philosophers. If you look at the Nobel Peace Prize of great people, it, it, it's, it's statistically, you would think that the Jews are 90% of the population when they're clearly not. So here he's going to say, the prophet in, in the Tehillim here, that the people of Jerusalem are gifted. If you come from Eretz Yisrael, it just, it's a land that just produces great personalities. And he says like this, Askir Rahav. I will mention Rahav. Who's Rahav? I don't know who Rahav is. Oh, that's Rahav. That's what I heard. What I heard, he says, It's another... It's a slang for Egypt. Rahav actually in Hebrew means the arrogant one because Paro thought he was a god. So therefore we say, I remember Rahav. Rahav, she says, because he was uh, arrogant. And he said, who is God that I have to listen to? So I remember the arrogant guy. And uh, I also remember uh, Bavel, 
Those are the people that came from Bavir, that's the Buchanesah, and all those people from Babylonia. I mentioned them to my friends. By the way, if I'm mentioning the other countries, I remember Pelishtim, Vitsor, the city of Tzor, Imkush, okay, maybe Ethiopia, uh, that's that area over there. I mentioned all of them. And I cannot deny that they don't have great people that came from their uh, countries, but it's minimal. Based on their population, it's not a lot. And that's what the Pasuk says, Ze Yulad Sham. This one. Meaning you could point them out. He's from Kush. Oh, a famous guy. Okay, became a, a basketball player. Okay, Hazaka Baruch. And then, and then when you have this guy over here, okay, he's from Rahab. Okay, became an Egyptian merchant, a very famous guy. Okay, next one. But uh, you can count them, uh, great, Egypt, he became a great, great singer. But the point is, they're not a lot. However, Usiyon, Yamar, when it comes to Sion, when it comes to Zion, when it comes to Eretz Israel, Jerusalem, Ish ve'ish yuladba. Ish ve'ish, as if to say, there's another one, another Ish, another notable, another famous one, another, because the land of Eretz Israel is endowed with spiritual qualities. And therefore, like the Gemara says, Avirad Eretz Israel Mahkim. Just by living and breathing the air of Eretz Yisrael, it makes a person brighter. And there's a certain kedushah to it. And therefore, ish ve'ish yuladba. Uh, there are many, many notables of Eretz Yisrael. And then he prays that God should establish it. Uh, God should establish his city. You know, he's praying at the time of the destruction. Uh, that Borei Olam will establish a city. Just note for you, Rashi Tevot buffs. Some sometimes we read the Benish Hai a lot, and uh, the Benish Hai will talk about uh, a city, uh, and then after the city, let's say he'll mention Yerushalayim, and then he'll write Yud Ayin Aleph, and. Uh, you know, most people, and they say, okay, we don't know what that means, just some, 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 some type of Kabbalah. No, it's not. It's the shittivot of these words. Yechoneneha elyon amen. Which means he's saying to God, that God should reestablish and restructure and rebuild our city. It's the shittivot based on these positions. Sometimes you hear rabbis when they speak, they say, Yerushalayim. Sometimes they'll say, Tebanev v'tekonen. The Benish Hai writes that sometimes too. He'll write Tavav, It should be rebuilt and reestablished. And sometimes he'll write Ya'a. Maze Ya'a, Yechoneneha Elyon, Amen, which is from this chapter. That's just uh, an FYI, so you'll know that Shetevot. Uh, now, Gemara Ketubot. Gemara Ketubot is Doresh Pasuk. I'm quoting the Gemara. Amar Rabbi Meyasha. What does it mean when it says, Ish ve'ish yuladba? Ish ve'ish. It sounds like two different people are born in Yerushalayim or Eretz Yisrael. The way I explained it, I explained it nicely. I told you that they have many, many famous people. Ish ve'ish means many people. But what does it mean in the way of the Gemara? Ish ve'ish yuladba. So the Gemara says, Echad anoladba ve'echad amitzapel l'rotah. 
big chedush this Gemara. What makes a person a uh, a citizen or a, a, a naturalized citizen of Zion? Two ways, ish ve'ish. One ish actually was born there, so on his passport, born in Jerusalem. Okay. But there's somebody else that has a connection to the city of Yerushalayim. Ehada mitzapela. Somebody that desires and has anticipation to be there. And the Gemara is saying that la'atid lavo, when Mashiach comes, there's going to be those that lived in Zion who showed their love, that lived in Eris Israel, and there's going to be also a mitzapim, those that wanted to be there and desired to be there and had love of Eretz Yisrael, they're also going to have a chilek la'atid davo. So the Gemara's Lashon is ish ve'ish echada nolad ba ve'echada mitzapeh l'rota. And that's going to happen me'em atay ketanei Yisrael chayim mitratemetim and then when tiatemetim comes, both those that show their love of Eretz Yisrael whether by living there or by anticipating. So even the Jews of Galut, we have to be, we're all Jerusalem, Yerushalmi uh, Merhat at the end of the day. Because our heart should be in Eretz Yisrael, even though we're not Noladba. And the, and the truth of the matter is, we know that to be true because even take an American like us, when we get to Yerushalayim, we feel very at home. We feel very comfortable. We feel as if this is where we belong. This, this, it, it, this belongs just as much to us as the guy was born there. There's no, no difference. I'm just as much as a chilek like that. And that's supposed to be, supposed to be the attitude. So Tehillim teaches a big hadush. You don't have to be born in Yerushalayim to be considered... A Yerushalmi, so long as your your heart. My Rabbi Acham Baruch Alav Shalom was born in Jerusalem, but he never left Jerusalem. Always, when he was in America, he would always send money back to Yerushalayim to support Rabbi Sadka and Porat Yosef and the Yeshivot and the Aniyim. Their mind always was on the issue of Eretz Israel, even though they were here. And that's a, a lesson that the Gemara is t- telling us over that if you don't have the zikhut to be a natural bred and born. Person of Yerushalayim, so from long distance you could have a connection, and you'll get the benefits of whatever those benefits uh, will be in the present and in the future. And there's a halakha that comes out of this, amazing halakha. It was a time. This is a question that was asked to the rabbi called the Rukachava. Go tell me how you're going to spell Rukachava. I, I don't think you know how to spell it because I don't know how to spell it either. The Rukachava rabbi was Rabbi Rosen. Alaba Shalom, Yosef Rosen. Ah, he was one of the Gedolim of the last generation. He wrote a sefer called Safnat Pa'anaya. In Kamo, this rabbi was... So one time, it was a time of World War I, and you had the uh, Turks, the Ottoman Empire was controlling Jerusalem and Eretz Israel, and they made a law. The law was that unless you were born in Jerusalem, in Eretz Israel, Otherwise, everybody else has to leave. And the only way they figured this out, you would go to the office to get uh, your papers, and they trusted you. It was an honor system. So you say, you're born, you swear, yes, okay, they give you papers, you could stay. So the son-in-law of the Rukachava, who was not born in Eretz Israel, came to, or sent a letter to his father-in-law, Amayel Atulai, 
Sakana, they're going to kick me out. Who knows what's going to happen? So he says, it's not lying. The Gemara says that to be considered a yulad ba, it's ish ve'ish. Echad ha-nolad ba ve'echad ha-metzapeh. And therefore, even though you weren't nolad ba, you were metzapeh, you anticipated, your mind was always on Yerushalayim. And therefore, the, the Tehidim calls it, that's considered, so we don't go according to the Ottomans' interpretation of what nolad ba is. We go according to Tehidim's interpretation, and therefore you can put your hand on the Bible, and you can say, yes, I'm considered a Yelid of Tzion, because of Ish Ve'ish. Utsiyon Ye'amar Ish Ve'ish Yulad Ba'am. One personal, what do you want to call it, story, anecdote. It's it's, uh, well known that I'm a big uh, fan of the Hasidut of Babov. Babov is a Hasidut. I'm attracted to the... Which one? Babov, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not attracted to the politics, so I don't know. But I'm attracted to the, uh, to the Torah. Uh, what, else, what else am I attracted to? To the hats? To the, to the, to the, to the white socks? I'm attracted to the, to the Torah. And the Rebbe is very generous. Even though they don't sell the books of the Rebbe, but the Rebbe knows how much I enjoy this different Torah. Whenever they print a book and the hush hush, they send it to my house. Gift from the Rebbe, because we know the rabbi. And I'm far from a Babav. I'm not, uh, my, my, my family doesn't come from uh, Babav. You know that already. So it got out in the, in the world of Babav. So they invited me to speak at their dinner. Could you imagine? A guy like me, <laughs> a guy like me, I'm, I'm far from a Hasid. I was learning with a Hamashir at the time. And Kamashir says, is it true you're going to be the guest speaker at uh, Baba? Where, where did you become? Uh, I lived with you every day for 10 years. When, when did you become a Baba on me? I said, I didn't become a Baba. I like the Torah. And I guess they found out about it. And I'm very outspoken about it. I like it. So anyway, the, 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 uh, the Rebbe of the Baba, was, he wrote a sefer called Kiddushat Siyon. Kiddushat Siyon. And all of the institutions are, have to do Siyon, something Siyon, Siyon. So when I got up to speak, I quoted this pasuk. I said, to be a member of Tzion, there's two members of Tzion. He says, all you people on the other side of this podium, you are noladba, you were born and bred. I was not born and bred in Tzion. However, I am anticipating it. I yearn it, I desire it. And according to this, I'm just as much above of than everybody else in the room over here. And this was, a, was, was very exciting. So without the hat, without the furry hat, without all that other stuff, without, all the, without the costume, I'm just as much because I, I desire it and I, I yearn it. I thought that was a, a clever derashah at the time. <coughs> okay, now we get to the, to the next pasuk. I mean, if I say so myself, I thought that was a... <laughs> you know, I thought it was clever. So, okay, so now the next pasuk. Adonai yispor bechtov amim ze yulad sham sela, which means la'atid lavo. I'm reading the Shina. Kedoma la'atid, the future. Kishi yichtov akadosh baruchu ta'umot le'deraon. When God's going to write all the punishment of the different nations of the world, yibne et Yisrael haniblaim betocham. Borelam is going to start judging the people, but he's going to pull out all the Jews. And it's going to say, Ze yulad me otam No, this is one of ours. This is a Tzion. 
This is part of our our group. And he's going to pick them out. Like it says, the the Mekubalim learn over here something that's a little deeper. I don't want to go into it too much now. But they say that even by the Goyim, they have some of our holy sparks in their uh, in their hold. Sometimes there's many, many, sometimes there's uh, holy Nitzotzot Shel Kedushah, we call them. These are maybe the souls of converts that didn't convert yet, and they didn't yet become Jewish, and they're in the clutches of the Goyim, and they hold on to them in the spiritual world, not the physical world. These are Neshamot, so it's, it's happening upstairs. And then at a certain time, Borei Olam orchestrates that they should be released. So he's saying that at the end of time, Hashem Yispor Bechtov, I mean, when God is going through the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the nations of the world, Ze Yulad Sham Selah. God's going to say as if, Ze Yulad Sham. You see this one over here? He was born by them. I'll give you an example. Example would be Avraham Abinu. Abraham Abinu is an amazing soul. I mean, you can't imagine. You don't get a better soul than Abraham. It's got to be the best soul ever. And uh, where, where was it? It was in the worst place. The soul of Abraham, before it emerges, is being held in the Kilipah. The Kilipah means the dark side. Before he was born, Abraham. The dark side, the Kilipah, the, the energies of negativity, they have a hold of this Neshama. That's when... It wasn't in Bnei Barak, it wasn't in Asharim, it was in the worst places, in the spiritual places in heaven, and they hold it out to a soul. Now you're asking me, I see it on your faces, what do they want from a holy, a, a, a holy tzaddik's neshama? These guys are, uh, uh, are far from tzaddik, so what's the benefit from them holding Abraham's neshama? Because they're able to be unique from it. They're able to draw from the energy of the good soul, they're able to draw some sustenance for themselves. It's like a scavenger. They, they draw from it. Now, the last thing they want to do is release it. Because if they release it, <coughs> they have no more sustenance. <coughs> so, what do they do? Whenever they feel that they can add some uh, tum'ah to the soul, which will weaken it, which is to their benefit, so it won't, won't be able to escape, so they'll, uh, they'll do that. So in this case over here, Abraham Abinu Shalom is being held by the, it's before he's born. It's, it's in the Shema. And now what? They're benefiting. All of a sudden they see this guy called Terah. Terah is born now. And Terah's a bad guy. Terah, he's wholesaling Abu Dazara. Not religious. Forget about not religious. Even take the most not religious person in our community. He doesn't, have, he doesn't, he doesn't manufacture Abu Dazara in his basement. He's not worshiping idols. I mean, he might not, uh, you know what I mean, he might uh, eat uh, whatever, but he's not bowing, he's not rubbing the, the Buddha. And even if he is, he's not selling it. Tena is a manufacturer and a seller, the worst guy. So what does the Sitra Hara say? That's a great place to put Avraham, by Tera. Because Tera's bad, then the Shemavar will become more stooped in Tum'ah, so therefore, it's a good, it's good storage, it's a good warehouse to keep the soul of Abraham. Especially that when Terah got married, he married a girl called Amtela Bat Kornevo. Oh, that's her name, the mother of Abraham, Amtela Bat Kornevo. 
and she was not interested in keeping Tarat the Mishpacha. They're not interested. And therefore, Terah used to, forgive me, Terah used to be with his wife when she was Nida. Unbelievable. So therefore, the Satra Hara said, beauty, I'm going to put the soul of Abraham with Terah, and he's going to be born from Terah going with his wife Nida. And, and the Satrahara was very comfortable with that, thinking that it'll, uh, you know, it'll, it'll only weaken the soul of Abraham and they can take it back eventually after whatever and keep it by them. Only problem was that that was a ruse of God that they would release the Neshama of Abraham and all of a sudden, miracle of miracles, it had a reverse effect. At three years old, Abraham all of a sudden is breaking his father's idols and starting to think uh, about monotheism and by that time, they couldn't get him back. And we say, Baruch Hashem, the Neshama escaped. And this is something that happens over and over in Jewish history, where we see that there's certain Neshamot, and they're found in very, very compromised places. This answers a question to you. What? Avraham is such a great tzaddik. Why was he in such a bad place? Because <laughs> that shows you that Bori Olam had to... Uh, uh, not that God needs to trick these kidney port, but that's the way it works. The kidney port, in order to, um, to think that they're safe, they'll release the neshama of a great neshama into a place that they think is compromised, and then Borei Olam says once they're released, Borei Olam makes sure that they'll never go back. There's many, many examples of this. We don't have to go through the whole story, but if you just remember uh, uh, the neshama, uh, take it for example... Of, uh, of Mashiach. You know, that's a holy nuclear neshama. And if you look at how the Mashiach's progeny comes into this world, it is the most controversial relationships you'll ever, you'll ever, you'll never take a shiduch out of those uh, situations. And that's how Mashiach came into the world. Just a simple example is, Yehuda's walking one day and sees, uh, well, he doesn't know it's Tamar, he sees a, a strange girl, her face is covered, and all of a sudden, He's with her. Uh, I won't get into. I keep it PG. He's with her, and 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 then all of a sudden she's pregnant, and then all of a sudden, hey, how could she be pregnant? Who did this over in Yehuda's day? This is terrible. How could she be pregnant? Uh, she's 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 the daughter of a kohen, and uh, uh, this is considered znut. Controversy. A little a little to Yehuda's knowledge at that time that he's the, he's the, he's the perpetrator. And all of a sudden, Tamar, in a very nice way, says, uh, well, whoever owns this uh, is the father. Oh, that's my, that's, 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 my, that's my pen. Oh. And then what happened over here? So he comes home and says, Tzadikah. Tzadikah means, she's right. It's from me. And then there's one more word in the Pasuk. Mimeni. That's God saying from heaven. Mimeni, this was all from me. Not that you would have said it's from me. Tzadikah. She's right. And God says from heaven. Mimeni. This controversial story... I was behind it because they were holding uh, the Mashiach's neshama and the Satra Hara felt, eh, this, this is dirty enough to put it in this place. But it really wasn't dirty because it was really good. But the Satra Hara felt that this was a compromise and it released it. And basically once it was out, it was out. And there's many, many examples. Anyway, Hashem Yispor Bechtov Amin, when Hashem is counting the nations of the world, Zeyudad Sham. They're going to point out, this one was born from the Goyim, and this one was born from the Goyim, and this one, it's, they're going to review all the nitzotzot that came out. 
ושרים כחוללים כל מעייני. באך, this is uh, what it says at the end, ושרים, שרים is singers, חוללים is, uh, we'll go according to the Ibn Ezra here, uh, שרים says singers, and חוללים is um, musicians. So he writes, ומנהג העולם להיות, Normally when you have a concert, you have more orchestra than singers. You go to a, a concert, there's two singers and one singer in the front, and you have a hundred-piece band. So the Ibn Ezra says, more, normally you have the sharim, or mu'atim ha'cholilim. However, v'sharisiyon, when Mashiach comes, and they're going to start to sing, the choir that's going to sing for the Mashiach, that's called the, the, the singers of Zion, v'sharim ke'cholilim. There's going to be as much singers as there are in the orchestra itself, which is going to be a, it's a way of saying there's going to be a tremendous jubilation, v'sharim ke'cholilim. There's a, another interpretation over that Rav Hida brings down. He writes, v'sharim ke'cholilim Rav Hida, Visharim is referring to the men. And Kiholilim is the ladies. Because remember the ladies, when they came out of Mitzrayim, it says they came out with Tupimu Bimholot. They did a dance. So basically what the Pasuk is saying, there's going to be men that are going to sing, Visharim, and there's going to be ladies that are going to sing. Now this doesn't sound like an orthodox choir over here. It sounds like over here some type of... uh, you know, uh, this is, uh, what is this? Is this really their parade? What's going on over here? <laughs> so over here, what does it mean over here? V'sharim k'cholilim. So Rav Hidas is a big chidush. He writes, V'efshar, Dehagam dekol b'isha erva, Even though uh, men are not allowed to hear a lady sing, that's considered a breach in, uh, in modesty. Where there's Shekhinah present. And the people have fear of the Shekhinah. We're not worried about anybody, you know, having bad, bad ideas. Which means, At that time Mashiach comes, sounds uh, strange, but there's going to be a mixed choir. How can it be? So he says, the Ika imatad the Shekhinah. When the Shekhinah is there, nobody's nervous about any Averot over there. So it's going to be that the Mecholelim, which are really, you should say Mecholelot, because it's female, are going to be like Mecholelim, like male. They'll be able to sing. Okay. That's a Hadush. Some people are starting from now already. And the reason, because the end of the Pasuk says, Kol Ma'ayanai Bach. Because all my iyun, all my analysis is going to be on what? On you, God, on Hashem. And therefore, at a time where kol ma'ayanai bach, then we can tolerate shorerim and mehodirim and men and women singing together. Uh, I don't think we can tolerate them sitting together, but singing together will be okay. In the hush le'erhud, dika imatat shechina. It's amazing. And that, that answers a lot, a lot of questions, by the way. That probably answers uh, when, the men, when the people left Egypt. So it says the men were singing as Yashir and Devorah, uh, not Devorah, Miriam. Yeah. Miriam was doing her own thing. Uh, men and women singing. What are you doing over here? We're religious. This is an orthodox uh, congregation. 
And the answer is, they see the Shekhinah in front of them. Nobody had any worry about any, uh, you know, misthoughts at that time. That's, that's enough. Or when Devorah, Vatashar, Devorah, Ubarak, Ben Abi Noam. That doesn't sound so, uh, you know, you can't get away with that today. Let the, let the chief rabbi called Barak with his wife, Devorah, get up and give a, uh, a duet. <laughs> you know, you, you say, not for us over there, Shut, turn the channel. But uh, those days, that's what she did. Vatasha, Devorah, Barak, Ben Abi Noam. Say, how are you doing over there? This is uh, unacceptable. And today would be unacceptable because we don't have the Shekhinah in front of us. But in those, at that moment, it was a time of tremendous spiritual ecstasy that nobody, nobody, knew, nobody knew the difference. And so, again, we cannot relate to these. Uh, I'm going to tell you, t- 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 tell you something surprising. We don't have that moment of, of spiritual ecstasy where nothing matters. Where you can do things. So even to mention it sounds awkward because what are you talking about? A man and lady singing. Are you crazy? They'll throw, they'll throw our kids out of school. They will. You deserve to get to, to, to that consequence. But in that moment where there's Shekhinah, the Gemara says there was a rabbi in the times of the, of the Talmud. I'm sure you have rabbis like this today, but in the rabbis of the Talmud, he uh, would go to weddings and would take the bride and put the bride on his shoulders. Yeah, you believe it? And, uh, you know, no, no, nobody uh, deposed him. Nobody, they, 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 they didn't throw him off the rabbinical council. They didn't put him, today, forget that, today we throw the guy in jail. Today, today we call uh, child uh, services on him and put, put him away for 100 years in Rikers Island. But in those days, they had no problem. And, and what did he say? He said, oh, to me it's like a chicken. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel anything, I don't see anything. I don't, now, we, we don't trust somebody to say that today. Uh, today, nobody has that religious status. But the Sadiqim was so high that it's like taking a stirrer and putting it on my head. Was, oh, hey, that's uh, provocative. What's provocative? It's a, a stirrer on my head. So that's what they felt. But you have to at a very, very high level for these things. So anyway, they have Hidaz saying that that's going to be a moment where you can even uh, 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 have this, uh, this type of idea together. Okay, so that's chapter Pezayin. Beautiful. I, I, I don't have anything to say more than that. Pechet. One more. And I, I came to say one point on this chapter. This is talking about a time where B'nai Yisrael are going to be sick. Mahalat is sick. Holy. It's a time we're in exile, as she says, and we're going to be sick from the pains of exile. La'anot, with a nun, with a dagesh on it, which means it's going to be painful. The author, his name is Heman, not Haman. Heman. Heman. Maskil le Heman. This is a... Maskil, uh, Maskil refers to it that it was um, uh, it was done with through Hakodesh. He had he had a divine uh, inspiration. He's called Hemana Israhi. Fine, whoever he is, Rashi gives us his lineage. It's a machloket where he came from. This man, look at Rashi, and you'll know who uh, Heman was. Hashem Elohei Yeshuati Yom Saakti Balayla Negdecha. That's all. God, who is the God of my salvation. I prayed to God. And when did I pray to God? Yom Sa'akti. The day that I cried out to you. Balayla Nigdecha. So that she says, Yom Sa'akti. I cried out during the day. Vigam Balayla. So it's, it's a way of saying, I called out to you basically 24 hours a day. 
when we're in exile, we need, we need help. So the Pasuk says, Yom Tsa'akti, and put, put, put in parentheses, it's not in the Pasuk, but imagine there's a gam there. Yom Tsa'akti, vegam balayla, nigdecha. And I, 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 I directed my prayers towards you 24-7, as, as they would say. I saw from Rav Samson Rafael Hirsch of this Pasuk. He said something beautiful. He says, these four words, Yom Tsa'akti, Balayla Negdecha, the Jew in exile. There's a difference between the day and the night. In the day, the Jew has to go to work. So he's out there with all the Goyim. And what did the Goyim do to him in exile? They would make fun of him. They would call him names. They would deride him. And all day long, <laughs> we're screaming from the, from the abuse that we received from the, the host nation. But at night when we would come home, then we could finally open up the sefer and pray to Hashem, and we could turn our focus to Hashem. So the Rav Hirsch learns like this, Yom Tsa'akti. In the days I got abuse, and that's why I had to scream out from the abuse. But Balayla Negdecha. At night I was able to be in front of you. That's when we went to shul, and we went to learn, and we went to, uh, you know, have, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, closeness to Hashem. But there's another uh, uh, something else going on in this pasuk over here. Yom tsa'akti. Simple meaning is we prayed to you. And how is prayer referred to in this pasuk? Tsa'aka. And I ask you, dear ladies, is it appropriate to scream when you pray? Is it appropriate to, to, to pray in tsa'aka? Not really. Uh, the Gemara says uh, that we learn from Hana a lot of things about prayer. And one of the things we learn is that your lips should move, but you really shouldn't pray uh, too loud. And the Gemara actually writes that anybody that prays in a loud voice is actually called Ketane Amana. The Gemara has not nice things to say about people that scream out in prayer. It's almost as if to say, well, God can't hear me, so I got to, because he doesn't know what I'm saying. The, the screaming in prayer is an indication you don't believe that Hashem can hear you, so the Gemara is not so, not so fond of it. You remember when Eliyahu Navi had the false prophets on Har Karmel, and they were praying to their false gods, so Leonav, he's, he's digging them. He says, why don't you pray louder? I think he's sleeping, your God. Uh, as if to say, <laughs> a God that can't hear, you got to speak out loud to wake him up. Our God, we can even think about it, and Hashem knows what we're thinking. So that implies that Tzaka is not good. So then he asks the great rabbi called uh, Rabbi Moshe Mitrani. He wrote a sefer called Bet Elohim, which is on Tefillah, classic book. So he asks, he says, then how do we learn uh, this Pasuk in Tehillim? Yom Tsa'akti. And many Pasukim in the Torah. You remember when Moshe Rebbein was praying for the f- frogs to go away from Egypt? The Pasuk says, Vayitz'ak Moshe el Hashem When Miriam got sick, Vayitz'ak Moshe el Narefanala. So the question is, make up your mind. 
Are you supposed to pray low or are you supposed to pray loud? How are you going to answer this? Like a real rabbi. It depends. <laughs> That's what he answers. It depends. And he says, if you're praying regular tefillot, when all things are normal, like like when we pray the Amidah, well, you just pray for maintenance and you're praying for, you know, okay, certain things and so on and so forth. Then it should be in a low voice. But when a person is in pain and there's great, great trouble, then already the Torah says, Bore Olam allows you to express your pain because there you're not crying out loud so he can hear you or he can, so he can, so he can uh, wake up. You're crying out loud to show you how much agony the person's in, then it's permissible. And he gives the example. When Moshe Rabbeinu was praying for the Sefardim to go away, what was he praying for? He wasn't praying for the Sefardim to go away, the frogs. He was praying because what did Paro say? Get rid of the frogs and I'll let them go. So they were, for Moshe Rabbeinu, there's a major prayer. This is going to be the, 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 the deal break. This is going to be the, 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 the end of the game. Frogs will go, Paro will say, they could leave. So I'm praying because the Jews are in pain. So it's Ak Moshe El Hashem, because that was something, a great, a great tragedy. Or when, or when he saw his sister, uh, Miriam, was in uh, leprosy and she needed a foie, and this was causing a tremendous embarrassment because the whole Jewish people couldn't travel with Miriam. So there Moshe Rabbeinu called out by Yitzhak. So he writes, uh, and I quote, V'lachin tsa'ak el Hashem, you see how much Moshe Rabbeinu had pain when his sister was hurting. He couldn't withstand it. He couldn't pray low. So his brother Moshe was. When he saw, it's an amazing point, Miriam talked about Moshe. And that's why she got leprosy. And Moshe, trust me, didn't care about what she said about him. And the proof of the pudding is, look how he's praying for her. He's praying with the same fervor for Miriam like he prayed for the Jews to leave Egypt. I mean, he had to invoke my Yitzhak. I would have said, well, she's one. Yeah, but she's not one. She's my sister. She's the tzaddiket. So then when Moshe Rabbeinu had so much pain to see his sister in the Ma'ala, so therefore he prayed with such a conviction. This is Mabit talking. Anytime you see the word Za'aka or Za'aka in Tehillim, same thing, perfect. So therefore, that's the chiluk, and I think that's a very, a very important chiluk. And that, that answers another question. The halakha writes, and it's brought down in, uh, in Shulchan Aruch, or the Hayim Siman Kuf Alef, that you're supposed to pray low. But some say, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you could pray out loud, meaning in a loud voice. And the rabbis all ask, what happened to the Gemara? But based on what we're learning now, it's good because if there's any time of the year that we're in trouble, is when the books of life and death are being uh, signed up and we're being registered in one of the books, we're in trouble. <clears throat> if there's any day of the year that tza'aka or za'aka is in order, we would be on the high holidays. And that's why Shohan Aruch says, while the rest of the year you should pray in a low undertone, but during the high holidays, it's okay maybe to pray Allah. And I saw that brought down in the in the Sefarim. Now, look at Pasuk in this chapter. I just want to say one more uh, item on this chapter. Look at Pasuk Yudbet. 
the pasuk is read like this. Could we praise you, God, from the grave? Can we express in, in destruction? What does it mean to say? This is the way that the, 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 the author is saying, don't kill us. We can't praise you if we're dead. Therefore, give us life so we can... Praise you so we can serve you. Can we tell everybody about your greatness and about your imunah and about all the wonderful things? Which means, like we say in the Halil, the metim cannot praise you. We're alive. So therefore, give us life so we can praise you. This is read rhetorically. The person that's in the kevet, can he speak your uh, kindnesses? Can you speak of your emunah and abadon? But I saw an unbelievable story based on this pasuk. It happened with the great Gaon, Rabbi Haskel Avramsky. He was the rabbi in Slutsk, in Russia. A lady comes to the Rav and says, Rav, I need a, a beracha. What? I need you to pray for my son to die. Pray for your son to die. Is he, is he sick? He's not sick. He's perfect. 18-year-old, bored, strong, healthy. But you got to fight with him. And, uh, why, sh- why should the Rav pray for him? He said because he was just conscripted into the Russian army. And death is better. Let him die a Jew. Let him die religious. Let him die believing in God. We know what the Russian army was capable of doing. They'll strip him from all his religion. And therefore... I'm asking the Rav for the end of Haskell of Ramsky when he heard he started to cry. And he said this pasuk, he turned to God, Look at this lady. To her, it's a chesed that her son goes to the kever. That's how we learned the pasuk. Would there come a time, would we ever think, that it's a chesed to go into the kever? Well, look at the times that we're living in, that it's a bigger kindness to a mother that her son goes to the grave than remains alive. So he was in, in, in imploring God as if to say, how could we have reached such a level, Bodeolam? So Rabbi Haskell Abramsky then, you know, got a hold of himself and he turned to the lady and said, wait, if already we're praying that he should die, let's make a different tefillah. Let's pray that either he shouldn't get conscripted into the army or let's pray that nothing will happen to him spiritually. Let's direct that to Philo. The same God that can do this negative thing can do the positive. And sure enough, he made it to Philo. And amazing story. There was a good ending. He went into the army, but it was the prayer of that the boy came out still believing in Hashem. And he used this pasuk. What? We have reached a level where death is, is considered a, a, a chesed, that a person would rather die that lived. Could you imagine? That it's a chesed to me in the kever. I heard one more story and I'll conclude. When I was young, I used to study with a big Sadiqim. One big rabbi I used to study in Atele, Rabbi Tekatsky, Allah was showing me, he passed away. He was a, he was a Rosh Hashiva himself. And uh, so I used to learn in Atele in the mornings for many years with this rabbi, Wahabruta. And I used to pray Minha with the boys, with the kids in the elementary school. 
And uh, in between, like before Alino Shabayah, Rabbi Weinberg, I don't know if you remember him, used to be the, the, the principal of Atel. He was a Sadiq Yisod Olam. And he used to say a five-minute Divrei Torah. Now, I don't know if the kids enjoyed it as much as I did. You know, the kids are kids. They're fooling around. They're playing around. I'm eating this up. What is this? I, didn't do. I, said, I told the kids, hey, you don't know what this guy's doing over here. He's giving you goods that I never heard before. Tremendous stuff. They were very lucky. I don't think they appreciate it because I wouldn't appreciate it also at that age. But as, a, as an adult, I was very, very uh, uh, impressed. So one day the rabbi got up and he said uh, the following derash. It's a Mishnah Perkei Avot. The Mishnah Perkei Avot says that um, uh, that a person should be focused about uh, you know life and because at the end of the day, tikvat enosh rimat says meod meod be very, very humble. You know why you should be very humble? Because even if you're a hashuv person and you have a lot of money and power and influence, what's the end? Tikvat enosh. The end of man is rima. You're going to be a worm. No no offense, but that's, uh, that's what the Mishnah says. At the end of the day, nobody, the richest person ended up being what? Food for the worms. Tikvat enosh. The way the Mishnah has to be read. Tikvat enosh. The end. The end of man is what? Rima. So if you, if you keep that in front of your eyes now, It'll keep you humble. What are you getting so big on yourself? Where, 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 where'd your end? Your end is not going to be in such a you know, uh, glorious place. Rabbi Weinberg explained it like this. I'll have a shalom based on a story. And he said it with tears in his eyes. He says there was a, those cattle cars that used to take the people to Auschwitz. And the, they would bring them like a machine, a Nazi machine, bringing the people. And they would stuff them into these cars and for sure they were overcrowded and you couldn't breathe. There was, there was no air and the, the smell and the, the conditions. I mean, the people died. Most people, a lot of people didn't make it to Auschwitz. They died in, in the cattle cars. So he says there was one guy there who was a Jew and uh, he says, something happened at that moment when I was in the cattle car and I had a new interpretation of this Mishnah. He says there was a little crack Crack, maybe less than an inch, where you could see the boards of the cattle car it had a little crack, and you could see outside. And you saw the people, everybody was trying to get there just to, to breathe some air, to get a little of that air, what's coming in, nothing but a little something, so some oxygen. <laughs> he says, and I'm, I'm far away. And I see a worm. And I see a worm crawling up and down that crack. And at that moment, I said to myself, how lucky is the worm? How lucky is the worm? I wish I was the worm. He says, and then I knew, understood the Mishnah, that the exile is going to become so bad. Shetikvat enosh. Tikvat means the hope. The hope of man is going to be, rimat, to be a worm. He says, woe to such a time when man is jealous of a worm. That means his life is so bad that he believes that the worm has a better, a better standing than him. He says, and, uh, me, I guess he survived because he, the Hadush survived with him. And he said, and this is for sure the Jews of the Holocaust. If you ask many of them and we don't blame them in Auschwitz, would you, would you rather if they kill us It'll be a blessing compared to what we have to endure. And that's what it says. This is the chapter that talks about the exiles of the Jews. 
and sometimes the pain became so great that who would imagine that the option of kever is a more appetizing option than life itself. That, uh, we pray that this is not the, uh, uh, that the galut is behind us, and Be'ezat Hashem, as the Pasuk says, Alay Averu Haronechan, Pasuk Yudzayin, it should be behind us. Alay Averu, it already should be behind us. And Savuni Kamaim Kodayom, although they surrounded me like a flooding waters the entire day, Yikifu Alayahad, but the prayer is that Borei Olam ultimately will bring an end to the Galut, Ketsam Nahoshech, an end will come to the darkness, and then Be'ezat Hashem Nahudim Aita Oram Vesimha, Be'ezat Hashem Nahudim Aita Oram Vesimha, Be'ezat Hashem Nahudim Aita Oram Vesimha,